Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. Uh, my co-host today is Doug Wortham. And on today's show, we're going to talk to the soldiers of the 1 of the 194 Armor Battalion about their recent deployment to the Middle East, and we're going to check in with Minnesota National Guard's Command Sergeant Major. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mackey. Every year, March is designated Women's History Month by Presidential Proclamation. In celebration of this, I'd like to remember the contributions of women veterans throughout history. Even before the Declaration of Independence was signed, women were serving as nurses and cooks at military camps in support of the Revolutionary War. Their invaluable contributions spanned the preservation of the Union and two world wars. Despite nearly two centuries of service, it wasn't until 1948 that women were allowed to become permanent members of the military. Having the honor of volunteering to serve was just the beginning. Women service members and spent the next seven decades overcoming obstacles and breaking down barriers. During Korea and Vietnam, they deployed to four combat zones and aboard ships. In 1976, they were admitted to four of the five service academies. And by 1993, women pilots were flying combat missions. Finally, in 2016, the Department of Defense opened all combat jobs to women service members. To all of our female veterans and those currently serving, thank you for your leadership, your service, and commitment to our nation. Please join me in honoring these extraordinary women, past and present, as we celebrate Women's History Month. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Doug, glad to have you in the in the studio today. Uh, we're going to spend the whole show talking about a, a very important deployment and a unit that just recently got back and uh, they participated in uh, some uh, uh, really intense missions. Uh, would you like to introduce the colonel? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And uh, it's great uh, to always bring back in a uh, a commander in this case, uh be able to talk about not only their mission, but then, of course, uh, welcome them home. And so uh, I have the great and distinct pleasure to welcome to Minnesota Military Radio Lieutenant Colonel Jacob Helgestad, who is the commander of the 1st Combined Arms Battalion, 194th Armor Regiment, and a part of Task Force 194. Colonel, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Hi, thank you very much. Yeah, so it's it's great to have you. We've had the uh, great opportunity to speak to you a few times um, while you were deployed. And um, I just want to kick this off right away with a follow-on from the Adjutant General's message and, uh, and just kind of get that makeup from you of your unit and particularly uh, the fact that in 2016, combat jobs were open to females and I understand that you, of course, did have a, a pretty good population of female soldiers with your unit. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes. So we had we deployed with about 1,000 people um, when we left last March, uh, and that number stayed steady throughout. And as far as from uh, the female standpoint, when we left here, and then um, I'll say May 1st when we first got into theater, my entire medical architecture, my task force surgeon, my task force PA, my task force medical officer, um, they were all females. So uh, as we flowed into theater and we established our, I'll say, our, our wartime footing, it, the entire medical architecture, again, was all by females. Um, additionally, uh, one of my first sergeants, um, Beth Hendricks, was uh, obviously a female. Um, but then on my staff, my S4, which is my logistics officer, um, Kristen Ort, um, but then most uh, impressively, 
uh, for various reasons, my operations officer, my S3, um, I, I, he had to come into theater later. So I made uh, Captain Chloe Miller, who was actually a military intelligence officer, uh, the middle of the beginning of April, I made her my operations officer. So she was responsible for the operations and the daily synchronization of the nine company thousand person task force um, to include when we flew in a, or when we got into theater for the first about month and a half. Um, so there has never been a female S3 in any of the maneuver infantry combat arms units in Minnesota. Um, so she was very much the right person at the right time. I had worked with Chloe previously um, and trusted her immensely. And because of the way our mission was structured when we went into theater, even though she didn't have that that experience, she was the right person um, uh, for me to take over as far as the operations officer. Um, but overall, um, yes, all, all of the, the ladies that we had all, all did phenomenal. Um, and it would be what you would expect when you give somebody the opportunity um, to succeed uh, or enable them to succeed and, and give them that chance. We're speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Jacob Helgestad of the 1st of the 0194 Armor Regiment on Minnesota Military Radio. Sir, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the mission? And I understand that you have some uh, troops kind of scattered all around the neighborhood over there. (laughs) Yes. So overall, our mission was as a mechanized infantry armored response force. Um, So Camp Bering Kuwait was, uh, I'll say, our home base. Um, at the high water point, I think we had people in nine countries and 12 different locations. So o- overall, we were very much designed to operate um, from me at the task force level to push individual companies out to various um, parts of, of the region. So from Syria um, to Saudi Arabia to Jordan, obviously to Kabul. Um, so everything was... Uh, I had tried to make sure it was structured that would enable the companies um, to be able to operate independent from their battalion, which is normally not the way it works. You know, you have your higher headquarters with you, but in the sense of our mission and the fact that we were a response force, um, as both of both the lieutenants that we'll talk later on, they were both in Syria, you know, underneath a different commander. Um, and then I had, uh, again, people at two different spots in Saudi Arabia Jordan. So we we were we went wherever they said we had to go because there was um, we had to respond immediately for some situation. Sir, we just got a couple seconds or a couple minutes left in this segment. Can you explain to our listeners the regional response force? What is that, and and what are you expected to be ready to do? Yeah. So I mean, the regional response force in this sense was all across the Middle East, from say Egypt all the way um, north into Syria, south into you know, the Arabian Peninsula, Saudi Arabia, um, UAE, Qatar, and then as far east as Afghanistan. Uh, we were there with uh, our, brad- our infantry fighting vehicles, our, our tanks. But to summarize it, we had a uh, sequence that if we were activated, we had to be somewhere in X amount of time, be it hours or days, depending on how we would leave or how they would want us to um, flow into that respective situation. So Kabul was much different than, say, going to Syria with with Bradley's. But, um, again, to kind of summarize it, um, we had a sequence of, depending on what configuration, we had to leave within X amount of time. 
Yes, sir, we've got about a minute left, but I understand uh, late one night you got a call and and uh, you'd been, your response force had been ordered to uh, Karzai Airport. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever forget it. It was August 12th at 1117 uh, at night, and somebody knocked on my door, and they said, uh, sir, we have to be in Afghanistan in 24 hours. And I remember going, what? Uh, we, we had prepared for it. I'm sure we'll get into it later. Um, so it was a surprise because it was at that specific moment in time. Um, but we, we had been prepared for this what-if uh, scenario. Very good, sir. And uh, we have to take a short break. When we come back, I'd like to find out uh, uh, a little more about uh, how long it took you to be prepared and to get there. As I understand, uh, you were there, uh, one of the first uh, uh, units in the in the area to arrive for that call. We're speaking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jacob Helgestad on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. Uh, Doug Wortham is my co-host today, and we've been speaking to Lieutenant Colonel Jacob Heldstad, who is the commander of the 1st Combined Arms Battalion, 194th Armor Regiment, about his recent deployment to the Middle East. And, Colonel, when we went uh, when we ended the last segment, we found out you got a 11 o'clock in the evening call and said, uh, we need your rapid reaction force in, at the Kabul airport. How long did it take you to pull them together? And and uh, understand you got there pretty darn quick. Uh, yeah, so we, we let's see, we got notified that Thursday, um, middle of July, we actually had sent people to Afghanistan to do a reconnaissance of it. So we, we had sort of the mission already, um, but uh, technically the mission was supposed to end that Friday the 13th, so that's where it kind of came as a surprise. Um, but then it was that Thursday, um, I believe Sunday, is when we moved down to the air base and basically – lived at the air base until uh, they flew us out. Um, I think we left Monday evening and then subsequent flights uh, thereafter. So we were ready to go within about 24 hours of notification. We just didn't have a ride from the Air Force. All right, sir. Well, I'll talk to my fellow Air Force people and see if they can go quicker next time. But, Doug, uh, we've got another guest with us today that uh, was part of that rapid reaction first. Would you like to introduce him? Yeah, I sure would. And uh, this is First Lieutenant Justin Brickman, who was the Charlie platoon leader on Task Force 194. Uh, Lieutenant Brickman, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you, Sergeant Major. Excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the show, Tom. Well, we're, we're glad to have you here, and, it, and it's great to have the opportunity to talk to um, other soldiers that uh, had this experience with this deployment. Uh, we get the opportunity to talk to the commanders um, often, and uh, it's going to be nice to get a perspective from a, a platoon leader um, standpoint. And so you, uh, obviously, you're part of uh, Task Force 194. You're the Charlie platoon leader. Um, how long have you been serving inside of the Minnesota Guard uh, leading up to this deployment? Uh, yes, Sergeant Major. So I enlisted uh, back in 2009, originally as a cavalry scout. Um, done various positions um, inside of you know the organization. So cavalry scout, Bradley track commander, team leader, section leader. Um, then they, I had the opportunity to go through the Minnesota State Officer Candidate Program uh, back in 2018, 2019, um, where after that, you know, became a platoon leader in Charlie Company. 
Yeah, so did you ever think at that point in time that uh, you would soon be spending some uh, some time overseas on a deployment? Um, sorry, Major, I, I think, uh, you know, when I joined back in 2009, you know, we were still kind of in the height of the Iraq War, so I always knew it was a possibility, um, but, you know, it, it definitely manifested uh, over the past year, so... Yeah, I think one of the mottos that we uh, often went by was it's not a matter of of if, it was a matter of when. And uh, speaking of the when, so you get the notification you're going to go on this deployment. Um, did you know in preparation uh, to go on this deployment that you were going to be separated from the main task force outside of Kuwait and you're going to have a different assignment? Or was that something you found out on the ground? Um, Sorry, Major. So I started to get um, some whisperings of it, but we didn't actually officially find out that we were going to be that platoon uh, until the pre-mobilization process. Actually, Colonel Helga said came to inform me and my platoon um, when we were in Texas training. And so most of the uh, task force then is in Kuwait. And and then where did you end up taking um, your platoon? Where were you stationed at while you are overseas? That's a good question, Sergeant Major. So we, we were kind of all over the place, but we originally started in the ESSA Syria, which stands for Eastern Syrian Security Area. Uh, and we were conducting stability operations with our partner force, uh, the Syrian Defense Force, um, you know, primarily Bradley-focused mission patrolling, conducting security assessments, civil engagements with the local populace. Um, we were there for approximately 100 days, Then we did the um, – stint in Afghanistan with the rest of the Rapid Response Force and Task Force Bastard, and then we spent the last little bit um, in Kuwait doing port security. We do want to talk about uh, that that trip to uh, Kabul real quick. Um, we are speaking with First Lieutenant Justin Brickman here on Minnesota Military Radio. So you said that you spent about 100 days or so in uh, Syria, and uh, all of a sudden— uh, stuff starts happening. The Afghan uh, withdrawal is going to take place, and uh, you're alerted that uh, you're going to have to to respond. How did that notification come down to you? And then, what did you have to do to prepare not only yourself but also your team to get yourselves into um, into Afghanistan? Yeah. So, uh, like the rest of the world, you know, we were monitoring the situation on social media, but we were actually receiving intelligence reports. Uh, back from Kuwait um, up in Syria. So I was notified by my company commander through our zipper phone about the possibility of heading to Afghanistan. You know, kind of thought it was a far-fetched uh, possibility just based on the fact that, you know, I was in Syria and it, it kind of seemed abstract. But, um, yeah, it happened. Uh, we were conducting our relief in place operations in Syria. So we were on our way back to Kuwait. Um, and... We landed, I think we were on the ground for approximately like 18 hours, and that was including some of the time over at the airport uh, that Colonel Huggison was talking about. And, um, you know, 18 hours later, we're in Afghanistan. So it was pretty crazy. Um, We had enough time to do laundry, uh, clean our equipment and weapons, repack and retrofit, and uh, sleep for a few hours. I can only imagine, you know, just kind of like that that stress and and pressure, um, just the intensity uh, of what was happening, right? I mean, you get on the ground uh, back into Kuwait, you know that you're going to be leaving uh, very shortly to head um, over to Afghanistan. So for you as a platoon leader, 
what was that experience like um, as far as leading your troops, your soldiers in that type of an environment? And, you know, what, what kind of things were you seeing and experiencing throughout that? Yeah, um, I would say, first off, it was an absolute honor. Um, it's also extremely tiring. Um, you know, you're trying to make sure that you set um, your platoon up for success. You're trying to do everything. I know in Syria, you know, when I was kind of possibly notified, I started pulling imagery uh, from one of our systems so I could get a better layout of the airport. Um, and, you know, I think by the end of it, we how tired we were, you know, probably Colonel Hugga said as well, I could have slept for a week, but... Uh, you know, we, we experienced a lot. Um, we had to be resourceful to get supplies we needed because, you know, as you guys were watching uh, back here, we didn't have room for everything we needed uh, when we came in. You know, we had to be adaptable as the missions and tasking changed uh, rapidly depending on the situation on the ground. So, um, you know, and then I have to touch on the fact that we also saw the absolute desperation of a population, you know, trying to leave a country that was falling apart. Yeah, so we have about a minute left here um, in this segment, and um, you know these experiences they they kind of they shape us as leaders, as soldiers, um, as people. And what what did you learn about yourself throughout this experience? Yeah, um, definitely learned a lot. But some key takeaways for me is I learned that as a leader, you know, you can't do everything and be everywhere all the time. You have a job to do, and so do your NCOs um, and your soldiers. And, you know, they want to do their job. That's why they signed up for the National Guard, and you, you need and want to do yours. So um, I, that's kind of a big thing I learned about myself. And then as far as the relationship with your, you know, my soldiers, kind of what I learned about them as well is, you know, sometimes you got to be the bad guy. Um, you've got to keep the platoon focused and disciplined. Uh, even when they don't want to be and you don't want to be and you're tired and, you know, it's a last-minute mission, but – um, that can be tough, but, you know, you find your way through it. And your leaders are always there to support you. Well, sir, hey, we appreciate uh, the opportunity for you to come in, spend some time with us. I wish we had a little bit more time. I'd love to get into some more of the details about uh, the mission and your experiences, uh, you and your uh, soldiers. Uh, but we'll have to save that for another uh, segment. Uh, thank you for joining us on Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you, Sergeant Major. Appreciate the time. That was First Lieutenant Justin Brickman of the Charlie Company. He was a platoon leader in Task Force 1 of the 194. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham, and we've been talking about the uh, 1st Combined Arms Battalion, 194th Armored Regiment's deployment uh, to the Middle East and their rapid reaction force that was called to Kabul. Uh, we're going to have more on that in a moment, but first it's time for the Commissioner's Corner. A weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. Duty, honor, pride. These words reflect the spirit of generations of American women who have sought to defend the rights and freedoms of others. March is Women's History Month, and I ask that you join with me celebrating the contributions women have made and continue to make to our society. For generations, women have been serving in the military alongside their male comrades as equals. However, their service often goes unrecognized. It is important that we take time to pay tribute and recognize the service and sacrifice of our women veterans here in Minnesota. Make it your mission to thank a woman veteran for her service. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. 
Doug, uh, we're we're getting the, the sense now that the one in the one nine fourth, the task force was over there, and they had to be ready with this rapid reaction force. The colonel got a call in the middle of the night, twenty four hours. They had to get to the Karzai Airport in Kabul, and we've got another guest uh, here to tell us what it was like at the airport on that mission. Yeah, so First Lieutenant Carl Swanson joins us, and uh, First Lieutenant Carl Swanson is a platoon leader in Bravo Company, two of the one three six and uh, part of Task Force 194 deployed, um, obviously, um, overseas. And, and, Lieutenant, welcome to Minnesota Military, Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, glad that you're here. And uh, we do want to dive in right away and, and get to the story because it's such a, a great story, and we, we just love getting that perspective. But let's talk about you getting there. So um, just like our previous guest, you're not actually in Kuwait uh, with the uh, Task Force 194 at large. You're on a, a special uh, mission. You're in Saudi Arabia at the time. You get the call, and they say, hey, you got to get over here. And I understand that you had some great transportation to get there. Tell us a little bit about the story from Saudi to Kuwait to Afghanistan. Yeah, so, right, call middle of the night, very similar to what Colonel Hogstead experienced. Uh, company commander came in, and it was a little after midnight. It was like, hey, get your guys, start packing bags. Uh, we got to figure out how to get out of here. We're going to Afghanistan. And so clock starts ticking about 16 hours later, two Chinooks touch down right outside our FOB in Saudi Arabia. And it's, hey, 45 of you guys, get on. Right now we're going. Um, and you got to get back to Kuwait as fast as you can. Uh, get back, refit. We're, we're drawing ammo. We're, we're cleaning everything. Get some rest. Have guys do laundry right away. Start, start rotating through everything. Get everyone ready. No questions asked. Like, we're going out the door. And was 45 the total number of your platoon, or was that just a, a small portion of it? So I personally had 37, uh, including myself. Uh, we had a few extras down in Saudi, but it was just, hey, getting those, those key members back with us as soon as we could to Kuwait to get ready. Yeah, so you get that phone call, that call uh, in the middle of the night. Was it a shock to you, or did you guys kind of know that uh, some of this might be coming? There, we always joke about it. There was kind of this mentality of, oh, there's there's 0% chance we're going. So it's kind of become a, a bit of a joke between my company commander and I and some of the other guys of, hey, it's a 0% chance, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely kind of hit us out of nowhere, but we were ready for it. Yeah, you know, and that's a good thing. Uh, one of the things I think that we do well is, uh, you know, we prepare. And uh, I know that Colonel Helgestad, Helgestad has talked about this before, you know, being prepared for um, everything and anything. And, and obviously that was a part of what uh, you had to do as well. So you get out of Saudi, you get to Kuwait, now you get into Afghanistan, and uh, you get to Karzi uh, Airport. What, what did you do? What was your team responsible for? So our primary mission was actually securing the perimeter of the airfield to prevent um, civilian interruption with air traffic, right? So obviously we had all those flights coming in and out for evacuees. Um, hey, keep them off the runway. We all saw the news footage, people all over the runway, all that stuff. Um, so right, we were in there to just mitigate that, keep it so there was a steady flow of refugees coming through that wanted to get out of the country that had paperwork in order, um, and right, just enable a smooth operation flow for the entire thing as best we could. So, Lieutenant, did you find that you were using some of the civilian skills of your guardsmen and women to to accomplish that mission? A hundred percent, right? So, I mean, a lot of it, right, was crowd mitigation stuff. Um, I have a few guys that are corrections officers, right? So it's not that, right, you look at these people and you start seeing the desperation that Lieutenant Brickman touched on, right? And we do crazy things when we're desperate, right? So using that ability to stay calm in the face of that pressure, right? So those guys that are corrections officers, it was incredible to have them. It, they were great assets just watching them just be very calm and their their orders, their presence in front of these people. 
and actually to just kind of delegate everything and just trust that there were individuals that you could leave to responsibly take care of small groups of guys. We're speaking with First Lieutenant Carl Swanson, uh, the Bravo Company uh, commander, excuse me, Bravo platoon leader in Task Force 194. Um, so you're obviously over there, you know, things are happening. Uh, you're doing the best you can, control mitigation uh, of the crowd, uh, keep things safe. Um, what what was it truly like, though? I mean, was it just, was it chaos for you all? I mean, was just just mass hysteria going on or what? Yeah, so, I mean, it was kind of interesting, right? We touched down. No one really knew where we were supposed to go. So then about 12 hours later, it was like, hey, you know, it's already like 10 p.m. Walk over, set up camp over here, get out the next morning and start guard duty in the towers. Um, it was just amazing, right? You had all these people that were scrambling. There was so little information flow. No one really knew what was going on over on this side of the airport, where the Marines were, where the 82nd guys were, the 10th Mountain were. I mean, maybe they did at Lieutenant Colonel Hellickstead's level, but at my level, it was like, hey, what's in front of you? That's, that's your job. That's it. Um, right? Get guys in a guard tower, partner up with the Afghans that are there with you, and, and figure out how they're mitigating stuff. Figure out how they're controlling everything and do your best to, to make it happen. And I, I do want to touch on this because I think it's such a great aspect of the story is obviously you bring your team in, but uh, there was a connection that you made with somebody that was trying to obviously get out of that situation and get over to the U.S., and I understand that you had a helping hand in that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, one of my team leaders, this this gentleman who had worked with us way back in 2011, 2012, um, had approached him and just said, hey, here's my paperwork. I've helped you guys in the past. It's my understanding that I am free to evacuate this country and be a refugee in the United States. And so it started this three-day process of, right, basically the hunt for information. How do we get this guy out? We know he's on the wrong part of the airport. Who can I talk to? Um, and right kind of through a series of what, what seemed like dumb luck talking to, like, an Afghan lieutenant colonel and just a few other people. And all of a sudden, three days later, we had him in the back of one of the 4 by 4s we'd taken, drove him over to where the Marines were, and walked him up the stairs, scanned his passport, put a bracelet on him, scanned the barcode. And I looked at the guy, and he said, I was like, well, how do I get him out of here? He's like, just walk him down to the flight line, sir. And that was it. And actually, happily, he is now living in Arizona. So I still keep in touch with him. That's a great news story. Now, we have just uh, just over a minute left, and, and I do want to ask this question because I think it's important to put some more perspective into things. Um, that experience in itself, Afghanistan at Karzai um, Airport, um, really probably shaped you as a person, as a soldier, because you went from joining to actually deploying in a relatively short period of time. So how did this impact you personally um, as far as your experience goes and, and then even development as your leadership goes? Yeah, so I think I, probably the biggest takeaway for me has been trusting your guys and taking care of them, uh, right? There's, there's a reason there's only one officer for 36 guys in my case. Um, they have the experience. I don't, which is clear, right? So I, I got commissioned in 2019. Hey, three years later, I'm back from a deployment, right? So I, I can't know everything. I can't pretend to, and I won't. Uh, so staying humble and actually allowing them to tell me, this is what I see, this is what I think we should do, and here's why, and taking the time to actually listen to them and then do it. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's great advice for those future officers coming up, and uh, I'm glad that you followed that advice and uh, you didn't, uh, or you were able to swallow your pride and, and know that you don't know everything. Um, hey, thanks so much for joining us here today. We appreciate having you in the studio. Thanks for having me. That was uh, First Lieutenant Carl Swanson, Bravo Company platoon leader, part of Task Force 194. This is Minnesota Military Radio. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host today is Doug Wortham, and we've been talking to Lieutenant Colonel Jacob Helgestad, uh, who's the commander of the 1st Combined Arms Battalion, 194th Armor Regiment, uh, which is part of uh, the 34th Infantry Red Bull Division, about his recent deployment to Kuwait. Uh, and part of that deployment included a rapid reaction force. Uh, and they were called the Karzai Airport uh, when we were trying to get uh, our people out of there and served alongside units from the 82nd Airborne Division, 10th Mountain Division, Marine Special Purpose Air Ground Task Force, and Marine Expeditionary Force. And Colonel... Uh, uh, you were with uh, with uh, a lot of uh, active duty forces, and uh, uh, you got a section of that airport that you had to secure, and you got it done. Uh, yeah, it was good. We um, joked at the end of it that as uh, guard guys, we have life skills more than, well, we can also, you know, uh, conduct close combat operations, but I have a guy to do everything, so... Towards the end of it, people at the airport were coming to us, Marines, whatever else, because uh, we had a guy that could fix plumbing, that could hotwire buses. Um, so we, everybody, word got out, and we were able to help um, as many people as we could with different um, different problems they had to get different, you know, capabilities so we could continue the evacuation. So your troops not only had their military specialties, but they had their civilian expertise. They could weld, they could be mechanics, they could do everything they did back home, and you needed that flexibility and experience at that at the Karzai Airport. Yeah, 100%. It was, um, and a, on a kind of a funny note, we, we had our uh, SIPR communications established the first day we were there. The 82nd Airborne, the brigade we were under, theirs were broken. So I sent my guys over to look at it, and they fixed it in five minutes. So you had all these active duty paratroopers that are all hoo hoo, and my guards guys from Minnesota fixed their stuff. I love it. Great story, sir. Uh, Colonel, I understand. Uh, can you tell us how many days you were there? And I understand when you got back to Kuwait, you gave everybody about a day off, and then they had to be ready to go again. Um, well, that's not entirely true. But we, <laughs> we were there 14 days, about 14 days. Um, I think I was. Um, and then. Yes, because we still had the rapid response force. Um, I before we left Kuwait, or I'm sorry, Kabul. I met with all the company commanders uh, and my S3, my operations officer, and we made adjustments to our training schedules. I gave everybody 72 hours um, to refit because we still had that mission of the response force, and it's not like the Middle East suddenly broke out into peace. Um, and then when we came back, we also simultaneously had to send about 200 people to Egypt. Um, so, for instance, like my S3, he was back in Kuwait for two days, and then he went to Egypt for three weeks. So he was with Lieutenant Swanson down in Saudi Arabia, then he came to Kuwait, then he went to Kabul, then he was in Egypt. So that was just the nature of our response force mission that, yes, hey, you guys, you have three days off, but we're still on the docket, and this is our mission, and we have to be prepared always. Sir, uh, how... How does it make you feel knowing that, you know, your team went in, you had this successful mission, but then you've got great platoon leaders down there, too, that you can count on, rely on to get the mission done, and you don't have to spend time micromanaging or babysitting? Yeah, I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And um, I've said it a bunch of times. I used to say it coaching hockey, um, and it doesn't matter if you're coaching 10-year-olds or growing, or, you know, going into combat with grown men but you have to trust yourself and trust each other. So me, I have to trust my company commanders, my lieutenants. 
Um, we very, I very much, you know, tried to design our training and everything else so that the company commanders, platoon leaders could operate autonomously away from me and my headquarters because I, you know, was, my analysis of our mission was just that. You guys would, they would be working away from us and they had to trust themselves. And like Lieutenant Swanson said, um, like Carl said, is, you know, his guys, you don't, as an officer, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. There are lots of other smart people. You provide guidance. I provide guidance uh, and direction and then enable everybody else to fill that in so that the leadership down through to the platoon leader can accomplish what we were tasked by our, our headquarters. And sometimes it's hard. Uh, having been a lieutenant in Kosovo during the riots, like, you don't really understand, like, the whole country's on fire, you know, what is happening at the international, national level. Um, but you see what your mission is, the resources, your, um, your taskings, and what you're provided to accomplish that. And you trust goes up and down the entire chain of command. And it's good. It was phenomenal for us. Sir, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Uh, you've uh, now gotten all your troops home. Uh, everybody got home safely. Uh, a busy, busy deployment. Uh, can you comment for just a, a moment? Uh, do you have pretty good support from uh, from all of us back here in Minnesota? Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was overwhelming. Sometimes it's almost like, it was so much uh, – We, it's, it's hard to put words into it besides simply saying overwhelming um, from, you know, Christmas cards. I, I bet you I got a couple hundred um, middle school Christmas cards and elementary just emailed or just mailed to me from care packages, you know, coffee, all of that. You know, it takes, it takes somebody's time, effort, and, and money to send that to us. Um, but it definitely did not go um, unnoticed. I mean, I know it got all used. We got more snacks than any human being could ever eat. Um, but uh, but it was it was good. And that way, um, I had always said, and I got this from, well, at the time, Lieutenant Colonel John Jensen, you know, the Minnesota really loved their National Guard, especially the outstates. Um, so we got that support from those small towns that have National Guard units. And mm-hmm. we owed it to make sure that we stayed in touch with them. Um, and closed out the deployment by having, even if it was a small formation, at that respective armory to say thank you. Well, Colonel, welcome back home. I'm glad everybody got home safe, and uh, I want to thank you for taking some time today uh, to share some thoughts about uh, that very important deployment and especially that rapid reaction uh, mission to the Kabul airport. Yep, thank you very much. Take care, sir. Thanks. That was Lieutenant Colonel Jacob Helgstad, uh, commander of the 1st Combined Arms Battalion, 194th Armored Regiment, which is part of the 1st Armored Brigade Combat Team, which is part of the 34th Red Bull Infantry Division. How about that, Doug? I yeah, got that right. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us now is the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper. Sergeant Major, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom, and it's good to be back. Sergeant Major, we've got uh, my guest host today is uh, the former State Command Sergeant Major, Doug Wortham, and he's he wants to talk to you about some things going on. All right, sounds good. Hey, Doug, how you doing? Brian, doing great. Uh, good to hear your voice and uh, great to chat with you. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I always enjoyed doing uh, was doing some traveling, and I understand that you're you're actually on the road right now for the Green Tab Conference down in Little Rock, Arkansas, 
Uh, can you share with us a little bit about what the purpose is of the uh, GreenTab Conference and, and really the benefit to not only you but the other leaders inside of uh, the National Guard? Oh, absolutely. So the uh, GreenTab Commanders Conference is uh, a conference that's put on annually by the director of the Army National Guard, uh, Lieutenant General Jensen. And uh, the intent of it is that it, it allows him to bring his uh, senior leadership, so from the 54, so his adjutant generals, and then um, division commanders, command sergeants major, and his uh, brigade commanders, all to one location where they can discuss various issues and topics that are going on uh, that are relevant uh, for today, uh, such as we had uh, the Army Chief of Staff, uh, James McConville, come and speak and address the uh, organization. And today we had uh, the uh, Chief of the National Guard, Bureau General Hokinson, here as well. So it's been a, it's been a very good conference, and they've been putting out a lot of relevant information, as you can imagine, with what's going on in the world today. Yeah, so I'm sure it's always good to see um, our former Adjutant General, Lieutenant General John Jensen, um, down at that conference. And then um, I understand that a new Command Sergeant Major of the National Guard was uh, named as well. Absolutely. So that was uh, about last month they held his uh, change of responsibility. So the 12th uh, Command Sergeant Major of the Army National Guard was uh, John Tampa, and the 13th is uh, John Raines, and uh, John Raines is a Mississippi Guardsman, and he was, uh, before that, he was actually the executive uh, NCO, executive NCO for C. Whitehead, so, um, you know, he's been been around the block, he's a great guy, and it's, it's absolutely uh, phenomenal for the Army National Guard to have him as the 13th uh, CSM. Yeah, I got to know him a little bit while I was serving, and a uh, great asset to the National Guard. Now, speaking of senior enlisted, um, you had a, a visitor from National Guard Bureau, the senior enlisted advisor, um, Tony Whitehead, came in to uh, Minnesota in uh, mid-February. What was the purpose of his visit, and what kind of itinerary did you have him on? Well, it, was, it, it served a dual purpose. So it was his first opportunity as the senior enlisted advisor from the Minnesota. And with all the things that we've had going on in the past, he really wanted to get out here with, with civil unrest, et cetera. But uh, we, we had the opportunity to bring him to the 133rd Airlift Wing to kind of highlight their mission and what they're doing as far as uh, both federally and then state regarding uh, the mission that they were conducting for uh, uh, bringing our troops out to uh, Washington, D.C. last year for the inauguration. Um, so we went from the 133rd, then we brought him over to the recruiting and retention battalion where we had both army and air recruiters have a nice discussion with him regarding some of the challenges that they're facing in today's environment and some of the things that we could hopefully uh, have him assist us on at that national level. Um, from there, we went to uh, the 34th infantry division and, uh, you know, highlighted one of only eight. Uh, infantry division, or correction, one of only eight divisions within the Army National Guard, and we gave him a tour of the facility and had a real nice discussion about the operational environment that we're currently facing within Minnesota and discussed the upcoming uh, penetration division that the third fourth will be, which is the only one that will be in the in the National Guard. Um, and then from there, we actually went up to Camp Ripley and uh, gave him a great tour of the facilities up there, highlighted a lot of things that we're doing up there, uh, and and what makes you know part of our ABCT so successful is uh, you know the maintenance that's conducted and the operational readiness rate that our equipment has. So we highlighted all that, and then 
if that wasn't enough, we brought him over to the biathlon um, course, and he was able to watch the Chief National Guard Bureau's uh, biathlon that was being uh, conducted up there from uh, 11 through 17 February. And what a great way to uh, end the tour was not only getting around Camp Ripley, seeing that jewel of the north, but then uh, seeing uh, the biathlon live in action. I'm sure it was action-packed and uh, a great event. It, you know, it was. A, I'd love to highlight all the soldiers, but we did have, I'd like to mention a few of them. We had uh, Staff Sergeant Hall, Sergeant Ellingson, Specialist uh, Zupko, CW4 Lindbergh, Master Sergeant uh, Hilleran, and uh, First Lieutenant Becker all make the all-guard team. So that's composed of 15 men and uh, five women based what a, on individual race points. What a great accomplishment. Congratulations to them. And uh, Sergeant Major, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us on Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. That was Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper, the Senior Enlisted Advisor for the Minnesota National Guard. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week, Lieutenant Colonel Jacob Helgestad, uh, Lieutenant Justin Brickman, Lieutenant Carl Swanson, Command Sergeant Major Brian Soper, my co-host Doug Wortham, Commissioner Larry Herkey of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we talk about the spring forecast with Minnesota's Homeland Security Emergency Management and some of their partner organizations. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com.